came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. All right, now technically, technically, I was thinking about this today, and this podcast actually does come from outer space because of like uh, radio satellite signals. Actually, very scientific. I won't get into it right now. Don't well, mess with the J scientists. <laughs> technically, everything's from outer space if you think about it. <laughs> everything. Yes, no, that is correct. That silence and you I just, just blew heard my mind is the sound of minds blowing <laughs> all over the podcast, including Ridley Scott and Philip K. Dick. That's right, guys. We're talking about Dick all night tonight again. It's the podcast from outer space. Is this episode 10, boys? Yeah, episode 10. Congratulations to us. Ooh, did we get like a medal or something? Big one zero. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got Adam Narlock. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Ryan Scott, as Hello, always. everybody. And episode two of the two-parter about Dick. Here we go. Yeah, so this is part two of our series on Philip K. Dick. And in this episode, we are going to discuss Dick's famous <laughs> visions, the 2374 visions, the latter part of his life. And we'll also be talking about uh, Blade Runner the 1982 film and the new sequel, Blade Runner 2049, in theaters now. Great fucking film. Yeah. If you have not seen it, check it out. Well, we're not going to give too many spoilers for that one away, but we will be spoiling the 82 film, so uh, you might want to watch that if you haven't. Here's a spoiler. I've never seen a bad Ryan Gosling film. Have you? Uh, that one with the do- where he marries a doll was kind of weird. I think I fell asleep. I didn't see that one. The Notebook? That's a good that's film, a good dude. Film. I'm just kidding. That's the only movie I cried to. I almost <laughs> bought the book today at a thrift store. Oh, really? Yeah. Nicholas Alre- Sparks. <laughs> Already has the movie. Classic American author. Okay, so I don't think I said on the last episode, but um, the research for both these episodes came from mostly from I Am Alive and You Are Dead. It's a book by Emmanuel... Carrere? Is that how you would say that? You know, regardless of how you pronounce that name, what a great title. Yeah. And uh, this guy, he did a pretty good job at writing this book. And um, definitely check it out if you're a true dickhead. And uh, also comes from Divine Invasions, which is uh, by Lawrence Sutton. That's like the classic Philip K. Dick biography also from his website, there's a couple dickhead fan websites out there that are pretty good. And there's a BBC documentary called A Day in the Afterlife, which is pretty interesting. Just, also check that out. Just don't Google BBC and dick in the same. <laughs> That's not our just Google it for the week. Well, That's not a website you want to check out. Probably. Maybe. Maybe if you're Chris. Maybe. Chris might. <laughs> okay. So in our last episode, uh, we left off with... Philip K. Dick in 1966 on his fourth honeymoon where he wrote the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I guess after the first three, you're over the thrill, man. You're just focusing on work. Just digging around. (laughs) Not consummating the marriage anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like we said last episode. He's just saying, fuck it, I'm writing books now. So this will take us up to 
Now, we're just going to kind of, since we're mostly focusing on Blade Runner, I mean, we could spend another whole episode talking about his life, but uh, we're just going to give you the bullet points. Um, So, yeah, in March of 72, uh, Dick actually attempted, he had a suicide attempt. Um, You know, he struggled with depression for nearly his entire life. And uh, in March of 72, uh, due to his dissolving marriage with Nancy who he was on the honeymoon when he wrote the book with, and uh, his drug abuse specifically with amphetamines. Uh, He attempted suicide by way of overdose. And he would actually go on to write about this period in his life in uh, the book A Scanner Darkly in 1977. You've seen that, right, both you guys? Oh, yeah. I have not. Check it out. Very, that's a pretty cool movie, but very darkly. But it's good. And, uh, yeah, he used that time of his life for inspiration of that novel, which was is interesting. When I was reading I Am Alive and You Are Dead, uh, that author, he did a really good job of breaking out because Dick put what he said were real-life events into his, his novels, which were sci-fi novels. And the author does a really good job of breaking out what events in his life actually influenced the novels. And... Um, it kind of reads almost like a philosophy book. Highly recommended if you're a f- if you want to hear more about just more about Dick's writings than just Blade Runner. So in this was starting in 1974, Phil began having a series of visions that are referred to as the 2374 visions. And um, this is short for February to March of 1974. And this event started when Phil was recovering from getting a wisdom tooth pulled. And the vision started one day when Phil saw a vessel Pisces. That's how you say that, right? I believe so, yes. Vessel Pisces. That's the symbol. You know the Christians on like the back of cars, like the fish? I got a ichthys for that. Ichthys? Ichthys? Yeah. That's the name of it? Apparently. Jesus fish, if you will. Yeah, so he saw a Vessel Pisces Jesus fish symbol on a woman's necklace who was delivering his pain pills, and he was struck by the woman's beauty and and the way the sun reflected off the necklace, generating a pink beam which hypnotized him. And Phil believed that this beam imparted intelligence and clairvoyance. And after the woman left, Phil became obsessed with the symbol. He began experiencing a series of hallucinations that ultimately became the 2374 visions. So along with the pink beam, which he saw on more than one occasion, I think it said another time he saw the beam and it like warned him that his son was ill and he took his son to the hospital and it turns out he was ill. Dang. What yeah. kind of pain pills was this? <laughs> I know. And so he's... I want to get some. Phil also reported seeing geometric shapes and sometimes pictures of Jesus in first century Rome. And as the vision started happening more frequently, Phil claimed he was living two parallel lives, one as himself and one as Thomas, a Christian persecuted by Romans in first century AD. And Phil was completely consumed by these visions. He began handwriting nearly a thousand pages called the Exegesis. Exegesis? Exegesis? Exegesis. trying to interpret these visions over the rest of his life. And this, all of these pages were eventually published in 2011 
Uh, and we could probably do an entire episode on this book alone. Oh, easily. Of, yeah, Phil's Parallel Lives. And uh, he wrote novels like v- the Valus Trilogy, which consists of vast active living intelligence system in 78, the divine invasion in 1980, and transmigration of Timothy Archer in 1982, and also the novel Free uh, Radio Free Albemuth came out of these experiences. I think my uh, my favorite part about reading about the the uh, the events is he recalls hanging out with Jesus. Yeah, like <laughs> I yeah the the events that he describes in in the exegesis are are crazy. And uh, one guy was saying I was reading like about the the book and its release and everything, and this guy was saying that. He thinks that those pages contain the secret of the universe, the secrets of the universe. I believe it. Now, we have an excerpt from uh, Phil's writings for the exegesis, which, uh, Adam, you going to read this for us? Let's take a look at that for you. <clears throat> so in that instant, this is uh, from the perspective of Dick right here. Yeah, this is from the perspective of Dick when he was like uh, going through his visions of like first century Rome. So uh, in that instant, as I stared at the gleaming fish sign and heard her words, talking about the lady giving him pain pills for his uh, wisdom teeth, I suddenly experienced what I later learned is called anamnesis, a Greek word meaning literally loss of forgetfulness. I remembered who I was and where I was. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, it all came back to me. And not only could I remember it, but I could see it. The girl was a secret Christian and so was I. We lived in fear of detection by the Romans. We had to communicate with cryptic signs. She had just told me all this and it was true. For a short time, as hard as this is to believe or explain, I saw fading into the black, prison-like contours of hateful Rome. But of much more importance, I remember Jesus, who had just recently been with us and had gone temporarily away and would return very soon. My emotion was one of joy. We were secretly preparing to welcome him back and it would not be long. And the Romans did not know, though they thought he was dead forever. That was our great secret, our joyous knowledge. Despite all appearances, Christ was going to return and our delight and anticipation were boundless. Now, the loss of forgetfulness, that's a mindfuck right there. Yeah. I was trying to interpret that. I, I had to like read that. So does that mean he remembers everything? For that like, instance, maybe he did. Yeah, yeah, like... Because he I, can't forget, he's losing his forgetfulness. Like, I guess, yeah, that's why I was like, dude, so is he just remembering? Like, Sounds like he was just on some good drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> now, also, I picture, you guys have seen in Clockwork Orange, right? Yep. Remember that's when Alex has the visions of him, like, as a Roman soldier whipping Jesus? Mm. I just picture Phil, like, having that same vision. <laughs> Except he's kind of on the opposite side of that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, just partying with Jesus, hanging out, yeah, drinking some wine, eating some bread, last supper, yeah. So, this brings us right up to 1982 on February 17th. Uh, after complaining of failing eyesight to his therapist, who advised Phil to check into a hospital, Phil did not, classic dick, yeah. And on the Morning of the 18th, uh, he was found unconscious on the floor of his home in Santa Ana, California. Mm. He had suffered from the first in a series of strokes that, uh, and eventually while he was in the hospital, um, Phil suffered another stroke, 
which would cease his brain activity. And uh, on March 2nd of 1982, Phil was disconnected from life support and died after almost two weeks in the hospital at the age of 53. Dick's father took his son's ashes to Riverside Cemetery in Fort Morgan, Colorado, and they were buried next to his twin sister, Jane, Section K, Block 1, Lot 56. You know, pour one out for the guy, Phil. R.I.P., bud. R.I.P., man. True innovator. So, you know, just a moment of silence for Phil. So, um, you know, now we'll get into uh, the Blade Runners. Uh, And by 1982, sadly, when Phil passed on, this was right when his work was just starting to get the mainstream attention that it deserved. Mm -hmm. And the movie Blade Runner was kind of what jump-started that. And it was well underway by the time uh, before he actually died. And uh, he had actually seen a few clips from the film on TV because... As we said in the last episode, he was a hermit and had panic attacks in public, you know, movie theaters. He couldn't do it. And he was very impressed by the film. We actually have um, a letter that Phil wrote to the production company after seeing the footage, uh, which Rob will read for us. Jeff, after looking and especially after listening to Harrison Ford discuss the film, I came to the conclusion that this indeed is not science fiction. It is not fantasy. It is, in fact, exactly what Harrison said, futurism. The impact of Blade Runner is simply going to be overwhelming, both on the public and on creative people, and I believe on science fiction as a field. Since I had been writing and selling science fiction works for 30 years, this is a matter of some importance to me. And in all candor, I must say that our field has gradually and steadily been deteriorating for the last few years. Nothing that we have done individually or collectively matches Blade Runner. This is not escapism. It is super realism. So gritty and detailed and authentic and so goddamn convincing that, well, after the segment, I found my normal present-day reality pallid by comparison. What I'm saying is that all of you collectively may have created a unique new form of graphic and artistic expression never before seen. And I think that Blade Runner is going to revolutionize our conceptions of what science fiction is and more can be. Thank you. And is going to be one hell of a commercial success. It will prove invincible. Now, let me just say... I think this guy really could see the future, you know, because he is right about a lot of things in this letter. Blade Runner was a revolutionary film, although it did not be, it was not one hell of a commercial success, like he said. Was not. Not initially, right? But it did prove invincible, yeah. So uh, Blade Runner didn't bust any blockbusters on release. (laughs) and uh, bust any blockbusters. Any blocks? Is that how you would say it? Yeah. Bust any blocks? <laughs> Is that where Blockbuster comes from? Yeah. What's a block? Like a city street. Yeah. What does that have to do with no, movies? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just busting right through them, dude. So, yeah, it didn't bust any blocks on release, but uh, its its reputation steadily built over the years. And, uh, in fact, it was originally a box office financial failure. Mm. It had a budget of $28 million and earnings of only $33.8 million. And it, was, uh, it received negative reviews from these asshole film critics who called it muddled and baffling. I think it was just ahead of its time. One guy called it Blade Crawler. Oh. He said it was too slow. 
And uh, no respect. Yeah. Also, like you were saying in the last episode, Adam, uh, it wasn't encouraging that it faced Spielberg's E.T. on its opening release. I mean, that whole weekend was just, I mean, like sticks ahead of its time. Bunch of cynical assholes. And I don't want to throw E.T. under the bus here, but. Don't. I think Blade Runner is a better film. Yeah, but see, for, I think at the time, like, what's. Like people in the 80s, you know, families going out mm-hmm, to the movie. Mm-hmm. They're having a good time, bringing the kids. That's more tickets. Not going to take the kids to <laughs> yeah, see Blade Runner. Blade Runner is definitely a more holy fucking mindfuck movie. <laughs> and uh, Great description. But yeah, so it slowly started gaining a cult following. And uh, Entertainment Weekly clocks it as number nine on its list of top 50 cult movies of all time. And the Visual Effects Society has it as the second most influential visual effects film of all time, behind none other than Star Wars Episode Four. Ooh, mm. <clears throat> and in damn classic. Yeah, and in 1993, it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Oh, frick yeah. So now, get right we'll into get into breakdown of the film. So Blade Runner, released in 1982, as we said, directed by Ridley Scott. You may know him from such films as Alien, Gladiator, Hannibal, Prometheus, The Martian. Now Alien, he did Hannibal. Covenant. He also did The Martian, yeah. Oh, I did not know that. And oh, Martian was great. Though. Spoiler alert. Actually, not really, but <laughs> he, they're working on a new uh, a sequel to Alien Covenant that he's directing right now. It's in pre-production. Found that out while I was doing some research. So, in the film, it's the futuristic year of 2019. You know, that's right around the corner. It takes place in Los Angeles, which has become a dark and depressing metropolis. And Deckard, an ex-cop played by Harrison Ford is assigned to assassinate replicants. He's a Blade Runner. So his job is goes around, finds these replicants that have come back, and he's got to retire them. Yeah, they had a bloody mutiny <laughs> on an off-world colony. They were chopping the meds off. And they wasn't even moving. So Deckard is called out of retirement to track down these androids. And as he tracks them down, eliminating them one by one, he soon's comes across another one, Rachel, who he finds evokes Ooh. human emotion. Sean Young, the let fact me just say, <sighs> super hot. Would you say that you just Google it? Nah. No. But she would definitely be a strong candidate for boner of the month. Ooh, there we go. <laughs> it is a new month. Yeah. Hey. As Deckard closes in on the leader of the replicant group, his true hatred towards artificial intelligence makes him question his own identity in this futuristic world, including what is human and what is not, which is pretty much the basis for the whole fucking film. Yeah, just like the book mm-hmm. and like a lot of Dick's writing. What's real, what's not, man? Yeah, what does it all chalk up to? Big old age-old question. <laughs> so in the movie, Deckard notes that replicants only want the same things that humans do. Now what just are those things? Love. And other drugs. (laughs) (laughs) So pretty iconic point in the movie. um, Gaff, which is, if you don't know, if you haven't seen the movie, it's one of the leaders of the police force in the future. Old guy with the fedora. (laughs) He meets Deckard on the roof, throws his pistol at him. Congrats. 
to Deckard on completing his investigation. Uh, Deckard lets him know that he's officially finished with hunting replicants. And as Gaff walks away, he looks back over his shoulder and says, it's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? Referring to Rachel, right? Yeah. Now that's the end of the director's cut, right? Uh, I mean... He hears he it. He, like, flashes back to it, yeah. Is that... Does he flash back to that in the original? Yeah, but then it also shows them actually, like, getting out of the apartment and going, going. out to the mountains. Okay. 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 Got it, got it, got it, got it. Which, fun fact, uh, did you guys know that, that in the original, uh, Ridley Scott actually used some outtakes from The Shining so that he didn't actually have to go to the mountains to shoot some film? Oh, so that was in Colorado. Well, interesting... Yeah. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Shout out to Stephen King, right? Yeah. Very, very cool. So the film ends with Deckard returning to his apartment, is alarmed to find the door open, takes out his gun, calls for Rachel, walks through the whole apartment with his gun drawn, finds her in the bedroom covered up with a sheet, and you pretty much are like, oh, fuck, she's dead. But then they end up like making out. Gives her that original Spider Man case. OG Spider Man yeah. case. Now, do you think that Spider Man ripped it off from that? 100%. Shout out. <clears throat> I think it's a mod. Maybe it's like, yeah, it's like a tribute. Yeah, that's very this cool. Is a very cool. And then, you know, here's the real fucking mind blow is if you remember correctly, he has the dream about the unicorn. And when they're leaving the apartment, he steps on the little origami unicorn. And Big then that's rapper. when he flashes back to that quote. And that unicorn was made by Gaff. Yeah, so then you're like, holy shit. Has he just been an android this whole time? <clears throat> because that's, he wouldn't, he doesn't really open up about his personal life, but Gaff would know his dreams. My mind just blew. And make the unicorn. Mm. And also Gaff says at the end, after the famous like tears in the rain line, when he's walking away and he says, you've done a man's job, sir. <laughs> Why would he say man's job if he was not, if he was a, if he was not a robot? That's a great question. I'm so you're saying, you're thinking he's a robot the whole time. I think he is, but I also think it doesn't really matter. That's the whole point. Well, in the end, nothing really matters. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> we were all thinking it. Rob said it. I mean, I like to think that he's human, guys. Uh, yeah. Well, see, you're you're subscribing to the idea that it's weird. It's like the movie Her. Have you seen that? I have not actually. Have you? Fill me in, maybe. Okay. With, uh, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix, Phoenix. He falls in love with the pre- program. It's oh, like that's right. It's a great movie. Okay, and that's the whole, a little different though. That's no, a no, no, no. Listen to my hear thing. Him out, hear Let him me out. listen to my thing. Hear him out. So he falls in love with the computer program, <laughs> and. Which is voiced by Scarlett Johansson. This Ooh. is the iPhone, right? Yeah, basically. Basically. And so, but they have these like real couple fights and the whole time you're like, oh, he's right. Or then you're like, oh, I can see it from her side. And then you're just like, wait, this is weird. Like she's a robot. A robot. So it's the same thing as this. Like if you think about him as a replicant, you're like, oh, this is like weird, you know, but, but he's feeling the same things as a human. It goes back to that question. What is human? Mm. We are. Do we want to root for a robot? No. Deep down, apparently, Rob wants to think he's a human. He wants to believe that he's a human. Android, no feelings, no emotions. But see, that's what gets me too. Like we see in the movie, he at least in the movie, he cares about the girl. 
he falls in love he with falls her. In, you, yeah, can, but that's can you do that as that a robot? He realizes that she has emotions too. Exactly. So, so I feel like true robots. But no Tyrell, there. Tyrell also makes a point where they're making a more lifelike. Yeah. Re- oh, man. That's the whole idea is like you make it so finely tuned to be human that it is human. Home is what you make it. Just like Westworld. You like to see almost naked? And that's a recurring motif throughout history. You motif? Know? Yeah. I don't know if that's the right word for that. How many classic movies are about robots and what is it means to be human? Bicentennial Man, He Wants to Die. Frank Westworld. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Well, not robot, but, but kind still, of. What's it mean to be human? Semi. Yeah. It's Semi. on the same page. Did you say Sandlot? Sandlot. <laughs> classic robot movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and talk about some of the compare and contrast the the novel to the film, if we will. Okay. So you know, in the film, as we said, takes place in futuristic Los Angeles, twenty nineteen. Uh, in the novel, it's San Francisco in nineteen ninety two and twenty twenty one in a later edition. So, kind of similar. Not really. I mean, California in the future. California. Do you guys see that new Arnold movie? Called The Governor. Uh, So also in the film, the artificial humans are called replicants who are much more resistant to being killed and retaliatory when being confronted. In the film, replicants' full lifespan was deliberately curtailed for a four-year limit. Uh, In the novel, artificial humans are called androids or andes who live for roughly four years because their cells cannot be replaced when they deteriorate now this is something that when um old ridley scott was writing the film he didn't really want to put uh androids or andes in the movie because he thought that everyone would kind of laugh at it think it sounds yeah, silly. like it's childish it makes, or makes me think right? of the candy bar he actually got the idea for <laughs> For replicants from, I think it was like his daughter or like granddaughter or something was studying, yeah, and talking about replicating cells. She was studying what? Biology? Yep. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Classy. She was studying microbiology and biochemistry. She introduced her father to the theory of replication, the process whereby cells are duplicated for cloning purposes. Henceforth. Clones. Replicants. Also, here's something interesting. Ridley Scott didn't even read the fucking book before he made the movie. <laughs> hey, we're going to take your book and make a movie of it, but we're not going to read it. I was reading somewhere also that like Dick met him and was just like, you know, it's cool that you didn't read the book. I get it. <laughs> but he was just like, yeah, it's. I didn't think the book was that bad. Ridley Scott apparently said, you've got like 20 storylines going on by like the 30th page. I didn't think it was that hard to follow. I think Ridley Scott is just a dick. Yeah. He just (laughs) probably wanted to make it his own. He was like, yeah, yeah. Just do do whatever I want. I read a lot about Ridley Scott. I just imagine him cracking the novel and just being like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to read that. Go ahead and get the spark notes on this one. Also, uh, another fun fact is Blade Runner is said to have a curse. Now, not Mm. as crazy as Poltergeist or The Omen. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those, but apparently both those movies had some really weird things happen to the main characters or the directors during and after the movies were filmed and closed. Can't fuck uh, with the supernatural, man. I'm telling you, bad juju. 
especially Poltergeist. But uh, Blade Runner, who's, if you're familiar with it, the logos appear kind of like in Times Square fashion in the streets and everything. There's like big Coke ads and RCA, Bell phones. Atari. Pan Am. Yep, yep. All of these suffered severe business problems in the years shortly after Blade Runner's release. Even Coca-Cola, whose 1985 new Coke experiment was pretty much a bomb. So, And they, even the movie itself didn't do well. Was it a bomb, though? Not I mean, a bomb, but initially, yeah. Mm. yeah I would say. That's true. Barely made its money back. Yeah. All right. So we want to get into the new guy? Or? Yeah, let's drop some knowledge on the new guy. That's all we got for the old one. So do you guys think he's a robot? I don't. You don't? What about you, Adam? Do you want to talk about the 2049? For, because this whole Rachel thing is kind of fucking with me. <laughs> Why? Well, see, that's the... Are you in love with a robot? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in love with a robot. No, man. Just like, again, I didn't see the movie, so I'm taking Rob's word here. And we all know that he is a robot. Um, I don't want to give out spoilers. So stop listening. Turn the volume down for a second. If you have not seen the movie, apparently set the scene for me, set the scene for me. All right. So the year is 2049. The Tyrell Corporation has collapsed decades before the wake of violent revolts involving the Nexus six through eight replicants forcing Tyrell into bankruptcy. After the world's ecosystems collapse, famine has swept the earth. And with the invention of synthetic farming, Wallace ended food shortages and acquired Tyrell's remaining assets. The Wallace company has reinvigorated the replicant industry by producing the Nexus 9 replicants, a new generation of artificial humans with modified behavior to make them more obedient than their older models. These replicants have implanted memories and opened it into lifespans unlike the replicants before them, but are being used for slave labor in the off-world colonies. Some are also used as Blade Runners, hunting down and retiring the few remaining older models that are still at large. Agent K, one of the Nexus 9 replicants, travels to a protein farm outside Los Angeles in his flying spinner where he tracks down an older model called Sapper Morton, who is a part of a Series 8 replicants that's gone AWOL. So Agent K is Ryan Gosling's character. And Ooh, he's basically taking over the Harrison Ford role in this new movie. He's the Blade Runner now. He's running around chopping them heads off. <laughs> so that's where it gets interesting because when he gets to this farm, he finds this old tree with like the initials carved in it. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. Ends up being the skeleton of Rachel that he discovers there. And somehow they do an autopsy, find out that she died giving childbirth. And that's like setting the scene for the whole movie. And I appreciate that. And that's my thing. <laughs> how, and we we're talking about sex dolls in the last episode. How can an android get pregnant? It's just like that. It's engineered to this Wallace guy. Now, let me say. This was the only thing I really didn't like about the new film was uh, Jared Leto. Whoa. Whoa. What? I thought the new one was good. Yeah, I thought the new film was good. I said one thing I didn't like. We got the Joker. We got the Joker in here. Like, he's this crazy mad scientist, which is cool, but it's just like he's in there and he's like this, you know, man behind the curtains. And then it's just like, yeah, it just ends and it's just like you'd never, this guy never gets his due. He never gets what's coming to him. Mm. Watch the J scientist. But what I'm saying is he engineered these robots to have a baby. Just like that Rick and Morty episode where he gets the sex doll from the <laughs> junk shop and, and he's Morty banging it. And baby. then it's like has a baby. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
I don't want to think about that. But that's what I'm saying. Like it's there to teach these kids that have all these flashlights and pocket pussies that <laughs> it comes sex comes with consequences, you know? <laughs> you imagine if they put that on the market. It's like advertises a sex doll and then he gets pregnant and outspits this baby that's just wah, wah, wah. <laughs> it's like God damn it. Uh, that would be kind of fucked up, dude. But then I guess that's the thing. Like, I guess if a sex a sex doll is constructed for one purpose, having sex, it doesn't have emotions or attachments, and it, it's not human. Yeah. All right, all right. I see your point. I think this guy got in over his head creating these lifelike robots. Didn't realize their potential, and now they're, you know. That's how babies are born. Guys get in over their heads. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so without giving too much... That was a dick joke, We don't want to get uh, too too much into the the new one, you know, but go, we did kind of spoil it. Go see it if you haven't. Yeah, Invite but, me to come watch it with you. We won't spoil the ending. But um, so, yeah, this one, similar to the original one, I mean, it did better, but budget of 150 to estimates of $185 million. And at the box office, I mean, technically it's still at the box office, so all the numbers aren't in yet. But as of now, two hundred and fifty-five point two million. So again, like barely making its money back. And a lot of people were chalking this up to its its runtime. I mean, we went to go see it on like a random weeknight, and it it's like three hours long. Damn. So you're gonna be there for a while, and uh, you know some people. That's what they chalk it up to not doing so well for because it was, I think, uh, projected to do like 40, close to 45, 50 million on its, uh, on its release. And, uh, I think it only got like 30 something opening weekend, which I guess isn't bad. I mean, if you haven't seen the original, you probably have no interest or have no idea what's going on in the new one. (laughs) Yeah. Like the fucking dickhead at my work. (laughs) said it sucked and then he didn't even realize there's an original movie so if you haven't seen the original don't go see the new one because you're gonna just be even more mindfucked than you already would be having seen the original but i definitely think i heard um i try not like we said before fuck rotten tomatoes (laughs) i try not to pay attention to a lot of reviews before i see something so that i don't have any preconceived notions Mm. um I did hear like mixed reviews for this one, but when I went to see it, I think it was definitely worth it and definitely a movie you want to see in theaters, just like the original. It's very visual heavy, you know, there's a lot of scenes that are like landscape scenes of like post-apocalyptic and uh, it's really cool. So if you get the chance, definitely see it in theaters. Tried to get this little guy to go see it with me. But he was taking a shower. I'm sorry that I have school. And um, a lot of a lot of critics said that this one. They said it was good because it it follows like it picks up like yeah it's 20 years later. It's like doesn't miss a beat in the storyline, which I think is pretty cool. And let me just say CGI. You gotta hand it to him. Come a long way in 30 years, huh? Yeah, 35. I mean, there's years. just like in. Uh, you saw Rogue One, right? Oh, I did. In the, With you? Where they uh, CGI Carrie Fisher in there. <sighs> Mind-blowing. They have a whole scene like that with Sean Young in there where she's young. Mm. And I was just like, oh, my God. This is insane. <laughs> oh. It looks like she's a real human. What is human? What is human? You know? Maybe she's an android. 
Okay, so what do we want to say about Philip K. Dick? Or just Blade Runner as a whole? I think this movie, the first one, definitely revolutionized the entire genre of sci-fi. It really kicked off that whole post-apocalyptic, neo-noir style way ahead of its time. Mm, definitely ahead of its time. You can tell that just by, you know, maybe it didn't get a great opening review, but definitely an iconic Stood movie the nowadays. Test of time. You know? yeah. yeah, I was saying it, did, it only got like two Oscar nominations, and that was before they even had the category of like uh, visual effects, you know? Mm. So they didn't even have a category to put this in. I think... Uh, what I found interesting, I read a lot of, uh, it was really tense on set. Like Harrison Ford did not get along with Ridley Scott. The guy is a perfectionist. And from what I hear, most people don't. Uh, it could be true. Get along with Ridley, Ridley Scott. Scott. Yeah, it must be a real dick. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, I, I read uh, somewhere Harrison Ford, uh, he didn't even want to talk about the movie for a very long period of time. He was just not happy with a lot of the direction they took in the movie. Well, they also made him do that voiceover written by clowns <laughs> written by clowns but that was because philip k dick they were showing it to like him and a couple of other people were like getting a sneak preview of it and someone in i forget it was either like the casting director or something like that was like oh we need to add this in and he was like no nah, we don't need it and they were like no nah, you're doing this voiceover and first, they didn't even let Harrison Ford do the voiceover for his own character. So I think that like pissed him off. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we actually want you to do it. And then they didn't even end up using it. So it's just like a bunch of wasted time, you know? Right, right. I mean, and if Harrison know, Ford said he doesn't want to do something, I'm not going to argue with the guy. The guy's a badass. And, you know, while we're talking about it, what do you guys think is Harrison Ford's most badass role? Because, you know, back in those days, this guy was fucking killing it. Still is. We got Still Han is. Solo. We got Indiana Jones. We got Blade Runner. I feel like his role is just a badass just in different now, periods of time. You know, what I mean? <laughs> He plays the same role. It's just in a different period of time. Right off the bat, I'm saying Indiana Jones. Love Indiana Jones. Probably Temple of Doom, one of my all-time <sighs> favorites. Uh, and, you know, I watched that countless times as a kid. Mm -hmm. Indiana Jones, did. iconic. I had the leather jacket. I had the whip. I had the camo the, jacket. I the had beard, the fedora. The love of caves. I'm, I'm, this guy I'm did saying. actually have the whip. I'm saying Indiana Still Jones. Still does. Indiana Jones is one I definitely show my students every year. The whole trilogy. The fourth one doesn't count. Don't get me started on that. That might be an episode for another day. Indiana Jones. Might be. Oh, yeah. I'm going to kindly. Not really science fiction, but. Kindly disagree and say Han Solo. A little Star Wars action. Because, you know, he's flying around the Millennium Falcon. He's hooking up with Princess Leia. Mm. He's got Chewbacca as a sidekick. He's hanging out, getting beers with Lando. The guy's a scruffy guy's a nerve herder. <laughs> now, did you know ass. that he's not even the best pilot in the galaxy? Well, Anakin? No. Who? Poe Dameron. Oh, If don't. you go back into the... Well, we'll get into this on the <laughs> Star Wars episodes coming up. We'll do the Star Wars debates. All right. Now, you if you go in... Millennium Falcon? Yeah, I have, but if you go into <laughs> the lore of the graphic novels and everything, Poe Dameron blows Han Solo out of the water. He's by far the best pilot. No one. Sounds like a poll question. No yeah, one yeah. calls Han Solo a bitch. <laughs> okay. So do we want to round this one out, boys? Yeah. We're going to end this one with a quote from Dick himself. Uh, this was also in his letter to the publisher after seeing a few of the clips from Blade Runner. And, you know, sadly, he died in May. 
Blade Runner was released in June. Wow. I still have the clippings. You know? So, Philip K. Dick, I quote, Let me sum it up this way. Science fiction has slowly and ineluctably settled into a monotonous death. It has become inbred, stale. Suddenly, you people have come in, some of the greatest talents currently in existence, and now we have a new life, a new start. As for my own role in the Blade Runner project, I can only say that I did not know that a work of mine or a set of ideas of mine could be escalated into such stunning dimensions. Mm. My life and creative work are justified and completed by Blade Runner. Deep speechless. Philip K. Dick, that's all on that one. That's all we got. Thanks for coming out. God bless you. As always, feel free to hit us up on Instagram at Podcast from Outer Space. Shoot us an email. We've been getting hit up a lot for these stickers. So, you know, get them while they're hot. Get them while you can. Send us that self-addressed stamped envelope. And, you know, if you want them, you know, just DM us on the uh, Instagram. Or if you're still using email, send us an email. Or if you got our numbers, I'm not giving those out. But if you got them, you can text us. And uh, also, DM us your uh, craziest dreams. We're going to use some of the best ones on a upcoming episode. Shout out to all the uh, Legion of listeners. So long, and thanks for all the fish, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Peace.